Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to Yahweh an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door its desire, is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And Yahweh said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to Yahweh, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then Yahweh said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of Yahweh and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. 
I preached on this text not long ago, and my central theme of the sermon ended up being that God's ways are better than man's ways, and there are several opportunities for us to see that in this chapter. So I'm going to walk you through the text, and I'll point those things out as we go. Verse 1, Adam knew Eve his wife. The word knew or know, this verb in the Old Testament, can often actually refer to the idea of sex, the most intimate knowledge that man can have of his wife. And you see it many times, again, in Scripture. We see it a couple of times in this chapter, three times in this chapter alone. So she gives birth to her firstborn son, Cain, and then she'll also give birth to his brother, Abel. So two sons are born. After Cain's birth, she says, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. Cain's name comes from the Hebrew word for to get or to acquire. So I've acquired a man, I've gotten a man with Yahweh's help. Abel's name, not as straightforward. It, it might mean breath or vanity, in which case you could talk about um, the breath of life that God has given to his people, or vanity, coming from the idea that Cain kills him. We could also go uh, from a different Hebrew word altogether that's very similar, uh, but it would mean stream or brook, and could be a reference then to the four waters that flowed out of the Garden of Eden and how the Lord has cared for his creation all along by these things. So it's hard to know on Abel exactly what that name means. Abel keeps sheep. Cain works the ground. Both bring an offering to Yahweh. Cain's an offering of his fruit, his harvest. Abel offers up the firstborn of his flock. God accepts, God favors the offering of Abel and rejects that of Cain. It's not because Cain's a farmer. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the word in verse 4, firstborn. This is a tithing matter, believe it or not. The first murder in scripture is over tithing. Abel tithed. Abel trusted that if he gave the firstborn of his flock to the Lord, God would continue to provide more flock. He would keep the flock going. Whereas Cain did not share that same trust. His gift was not first, not the first fruits of his harvest. He took for himself first, and then he gave some to the Lord. There's your distinction. That's your difference between the two. So God's way is different than man's ways in this regard with tithing. The point of the tithe for the Christian today, which it's not a law resting upon us that we must do, but the point for those who do it is that it teaches us to trust in God above all things. Do I trust that if I take 10% of this pie of money, all of which God has given to me to begin with, that he can continue to provide for me, that he can keep me and guard me and feed me and, and give me shelter. Do I believe that? Do I believe that he could make that, that 90% stretch out to cover the needs of this life? It's a matter of helping us to trust that indeed God is Lord, he is in control, and he does give us our daily bread. So Cain's lacking that. Cain gets angry, as well as jealous, over all of this. His face fell. That's the idea of being um, 
despairing, saddened, and, and looking at the ground instead of looking up. And so God speaks to him. Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Giving him the opportunity to share, to be in that relationship with the Lord. We talked about this yesterday, though. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. The picture is Cain having a tent, and as soon as he comes out of the tent, that sin was crouching there like a lion waiting to pounce on him and devour him. It wants to master him. It desires him, but he must rule over it. This is the same as the curse of woman in chapter 3, verse 16, that she would desire her husband, but he would rule over her. So these are not good desires. These are evil desires. And then the rule of Adam ends up being part of her curse because he doesn't do it well. He does it as a sinner. So Cain, in verse 8, is going to then kill his brother Abel. In his anger, in his jealousy, he takes Abel's life. As God speaks to Cain, he does the same thing that he did for his father Adam before him. He gives him the opportunity to confess his sin. Where is Abel your brother? God knows, even shows that he knows when he says your brother's blood is calling out to me from the ground. He gives Cain the opportunity to be accountable, responsible for what he's done. Repent. Instead, Cain responds, Am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that is yes, actually. I mean, you can ask your children to answer the question for him if you want to. But it's why we're here. We've talked about that over the last couple of chapters as well. I'm not here to care for myself. Cain was not created to care for Cain. He was created to care for his family and the rest of creation. I'm here to care for my family and the rest of creation. It is sin that turns us inward upon ourselves. So God's way better than our way. Cain gets jealous, murders his brother, but God gives him the opportunity to repent. Sin desires to rule over us. That's man's way is for sin to have its way with us. Just follow your heart. Whereas God's way is to rescue us from such sins. So there's a couple more of those that we've seen in the text now. Verse 10 is going to give us another one. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Man's way. Abel's blood calls out for vengeance. Abel's blood seeks more blood to be shed. Abel's blood seeks more death. And this is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 specifically, where the unknown preacher is going to end up talking about how the blood of Jesus the sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Again, Abel's blood calls out for more blood and death. Jesus' blood shed upon the cross for us is then sprinkled upon us, and can connect that certainly to baptism and the Lord's Supper as Christ's forgiveness is applied and given. That blood of Jesus doesn't call out for more blood. It doesn't call out for more death. It calls out for forgiveness. It calls out for life. God's ways, better than man's ways. This is very good. Also, with Cain not wanting to be his brother's keeper, God is Cain's keeper. We see over the rest of this paragraph how he cares for, provides for, protects even Cain. So Cain is cursed because of his murder. His curse includes that the ground will no longer yield for him. That's very difficult. He's going to be a wanderer and he's going to have to scavenge for food. 
also the wandering part. Be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain despairs this punishment. Greater than I can bear. Driven from the ground. Driven from Yahweh's face. It's interesting that he says that. From your face I shall be hidden. Didn't seem to care before. Now he does. A fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. He's concerned about that. To which Yahweh responds that Yahweh would take vengeance on Cain's behalf. And then more than that, he even places a mark upon Cain that will be a deterrent from anyone else attacking and killing him. Is this a a physical mark anybody could see? Is this some kind of more of a spiritual mark that when somebody comes into Cain's presence, they'll just somehow recognize it? Uh, We don't really know. There's no more detail given on this, and it's quite unique in Scripture, really. The only other marking that we usually talk about is how uh, we are marked as children of God. Targets for the devil, but children of God uh, by the sign of the cross. All right, so Cain leaves his family, travels east to the land of Nod. Verse 17, Cain knew his wife. Here's a question for the children. Where did she come from? You have two different major theories. The first is that Adam and Eve had other children, which we certainly know to be true from verse 5. Sorry, chapter 5, verse 4, tomorrow he had other sons and daughters. So it's possible that route. The other option is that God created additional people in that first generation to aid marriage. The fact that chapter 3 verse 20, Adam names his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living, makes me go with the first idea, that Adam and Eve, their daughters and their sons are going to end up getting married to each other and continuing the family tree, continuing to have children. A lot of people would probably recoil at that and think that that's gross. Um, It's worth noting that laws against incest don't show up in Scripture until the time of Moses, as the law is given at Sinai in 1446 B.C. and just after. And our major concern as a, I guess, the government concern over the idea of incest today throughout the world is the acknowledgement of what happens over generations, what happens to the family, what happens to the bloodline, as basically think of your DNA as broken. And so when your DNA is brought together with another person's broken DNA to create a child, if the brokenness of the DNA is the same, it's like multiplied, it gets much worse. But if it's, if it's varied, if your broken DNA mixes with a a person's DNA that's broken in a different way, then it's not magnified. It's not as bad. Consider it from that perspective. And so you get the, like the Habsburg dynasty, for example, uh, the the, the group of kings, that over time, it got to the point where the the king, kids born, uh, the prince couldn't even speak as as an adult as he was growing up because he was so deformed. Uh, This is the, the risk of incest. Really, uh, we would, we hear it and we think gross. Well, it's not gross. Really, isn't the phrase that has been used historically for most of time, um, and it's okay in these first generations because God has not yet forbidden it. There aren't enough. I don't even want to say options, but this is all there is. 
until they've got children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and then they can start to marry cousins, and then, I don't know, how that cousins, second cousins, things, whatever it is, uh, you spread from there. I mean, whoever you're married to today, if you're a married person listening to the podcast, you're related to them. We all go back to Adam and Eve. We're just a little further apart on the family tree. All right. So most likely, Cain's wife, uh, a sister. We get multiple generations here. Cain to Enoch, Enoch to Irad, then Mahujael, Methushael, and Lamech. So we've got seven generations, if you count Adam as the first, to get to Lamech. A couple of notes on this section. Cain builds a city. This is the opposite of God's punishment where he was supposed to be a wanderer all the rest of his days. Although we are not specifically told that he lives in the city. Maybe he only built it for his son, whereas he continued to wander. This could be true. Lamech takes for himself two wives. So that is the first known instance of polygamy in scripture. Polygyny might be the right way to phrase it. Polygamy means many or multiple marriages. Polygyny means multiple or many wives. Polyandry would be multiple or many husbands. Um, So anyway, uh, first known instance of polygyny in all of scripture the other examples of the, the idea of multiple husbands that's never seen in Scripture, not in this kind of a, a context, at the same time. Three sons are mentioned, Jabel, Jubal, Tubal, Cain, and they're all, notice how they're all advanced in things. We think of, from the evolutionary teaching that we've been fed since we were children, we think of the idea that the people who came before us were primitive that they couldn't do things, that they were pathetic, really, uh, and that we're so much better now than they were then. I think it's the other way around. Here we are, just a few generations into history. These guys are working bronze and iron. They're building cities. They're playing musical instruments that they've created themselves. And they're working livestock. They're working the ground. They're doing all this stuff. They're building an empire, really. And we'll see that as we get later on into chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. Chapter 10 before it, I believe, as well. Whereas today, we have all this technology at our disposal. We have all these things that are supposed to make our life easier. And we can't even memorize things anymore. Like our ability to actually accomplish work, we're so distracted. It's a shame. Really. All right. Continuing on here, Lamech then decrees to his wives uh, that basically his revenge is bigger. So a man wounded him, he killed him. A man struck him, he killed him. That's not justice. That's simply anger and revenge taking off. And this is something that actually gets curtailed later in Scripture as the, the Old Testament law will say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. A lot of people think of that as like a an evil thing. It wasn't. It was actually the opposite. It was a thing of mercy. God was limiting your neighbor's retaliation. That if you punched him in the face and busted his nose, he couldn't kill you in return. Or if you accidentally, um, again, somehow harmed him, you know, you cut him on accident, he couldn't just kill you, or he couldn't rip out your eye, or whatever revenge he wanted to seek. It was restrained, held back. Not for Lamech, 
Verse 24 is going to be important here. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. That goes back to God saying he would avenge Cain's death. And so Lamech pridefully thinking all that much more of himself. And I want you to ask your kids on this. Have you heard this number 77-fold in Scripture before? Anywhere else in the Bible? I'm trying to get you to think of Matthew chapter 18 here. This is such a wonderful, wonderful way to tie off this conversation about how God's ways are better than man's ways. Remember Abel's blood cried out for vengeance and revenge. Now Lamech pridefully crying out all the more for vengeance and revenge. And yet Peter comes to Jesus, Matthew 18, 21, and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter thought he's doing well. Seven times among men is good. I mean, think of how many times you're willing to forgive your neighbor before you start holding the grudge and saying, well, I've forgiven you for this before. What's going on here? And you're not for- actually forgiving them if you do that, by the way. Um, but notice, Peter's forgiven seven times. He's still there. He's still with that brother so that brother can continue to sin against him. And he's seeking forgiveness. This is actually quite a strong example of forgiveness among men. And yet Jesus says not seven times, but 77 times. Now you can have arguments about whether it's 77 or 70 times 7, which would give you 490. It's the same words, though, in the, the Greek Old Testament Septuagint and the Greek of the New Testament. This is the only time those words show up, and again, it's repeated. Jesus seems to be very intentionally connecting back to this to show a difference, to show a distinction. Man's way is revenge. God's way is forgiveness. And through the blood of Christ, our sins have been forgiven. How many times have we committed the same sins against God, and yet they are removed, forgiven from us again and again and again and again? Thanks be to the Lord. So Adam knows his wife Eve again. They have a third son by the name of Seth. We through Seth that we continue down the family tree moving forward starting tomorrow. Seth is named Seth because God has appointed for me another offspring. And that Hebrew word Seth means appoint. So that's where we get that from. Seth then has a son Enosh. So we've got the grandson of Adam. And at this time, people begin to call upon the name of Yahweh. That's a really intriguing way to end the chapter. Um, The NIV takes it instead of call upon as proclaim, as in they're sharing the gospel. And you can start to think suddenly of like Cain's family and the distinction between these two groups and how they're seeking to share Yahweh with Cain and his offspring. The flip side, though, and the way it's written in ESV, makes us wonder, is Adam faithful? You come to Hebrews 11, the cloud of witnesses, Adam's name's not there. He gets skipped. We go to Abel instead to start that list. That they were silent, that they didn't pray to God, that Adam continued to flee and to run away and hide himself from the Lord until the days of his grandson. And then perhaps, perhaps that's the time repentance enters the household of Adam and they begin to pray and to trust in God again as a family. Let us praise the word incarnate, Christ your Son.